being here. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to I take a personal privilege for just a moment and, and do something for, for my wife. Can we do that? My, my wife, we've been married 43 years. And in 30 years, 29 years of pastoring, I think maybe she's missed less than three or four services. She's not here today. She's at home. She's not feeling well. Um, I, I want to pray for her because I believe in prayer. And, and I believe in the body of Christ gathering. Not, we don't have to gather down here, but just you can gather with your heart, with my heart, and let's lift her up in prayer because uh, I, I believe the Lord can, can do what she needs, okay? So can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us and being kind and gracious to us. We thank you that you are our Lord and our Savior. You're our creator and our sustainer. Father, you've given us the privilege of prayer. And this morning I pray for Joyce. I lift her up because you love her and because I love her. Because this church loves her. She's struggling. She's hurting. She's going to get better because, Lord, you're going to take care of her. We thank you for what you can do for her today. I pray a shield of protection around her that the enemy might not be able to get to her, to harm her in any way. Please bring healing to her body. Help her pain to go away. Help her infection to get better. Heal her. And, and Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do, what you have done, and what you're doing even now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me in praying for her. Um, I, I, I thought about this earlier in the week. You know, my, my dad's been uh, deceased now almost 20 years. And, and through the years of him being gone to be with the Lord, there have been a lot of times that I've had difficult situations, tough, tough things where I would have really liked to have been able to get on the phone and go, Hey, Dad, <laughs> what would you do in this situation? Who do you call? When you have a troubling situation, who do you get on the phone with? Who do you get on Facebook with? Who do you call? I hope you call God. As much as I love my father and as much as my father knew, uh, he never measured up to where my heavenly father's at. Amen. He's the one we need to be talking to. That being said, let's look at second Timothy chapter three this morning. We're going to be talking about biblical authority. Because it is so important that we understand this. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. What things is he talking about? We're talking about biblical things here, scriptural things, things of God. He said, you know that they are true for you know you can trust those who taught you. Now, who taught Timothy the word of God? He had a godly grandmother. And he had a godly mother. Doesn't say much about his father, but we know those two were faithful to teach him truth. In verse 15, it says, you have been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. What they taught him gave him head knowledge 
that eventually led to heart knowledge that helped him to make the wisest decision he'd ever made in his life, and that was to trust Jesus Christ for his soul. In verse 16, he goes on to say, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. Amen and amen. That's a powerful passage of scripture. Now as Christians, you and I accept that the Bible is the written word of God. Amen? We do. If you know anything about the Baptist faith and message, you've read this passage. It says, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is, is the record of God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God as its author, salvation as its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creed, and religious opinion should be tried. He goes on to say that the criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. Now, why Jesus Christ? You guys ask good questions. Why Jesus? Folks, it's because he is the living word of God. He is the living word of God. Peter said, for you have been born again. He's writing to Christians when he wrote these words. He says, your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the prophet says, people are like grass. They die away, that die away, they, uh, that their beauty fades as quickly as the beauty of wildflowers. The grass withers and the flowers fall away but the word of the Lord will last forever, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. Folks, Jesus Christ is the good news. He is the living word of God. He is the gospel. He is everything that God said he would be. The writer of Hebrews wrote, for the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires, it exposes us for who we are. That's why a lot of people don't read it. <laughs> it exposes us for who we really are. Nothing in all of creation can hide from him. Do you notice it goes from talking about it to him? Everything naked and exposed before his eyes. This is the God to whom we must explain all that we have done. Folks, the word of God is alive. It is sharp. It is powerful. It exposes the real truth and there's no way that you can hide anything from it. It is powerful. John wrote in Revelation chapter 19 and I can only imagine what he saw when he, when he had this vision. It says, then I saw heaven opened. 
You ever had that vision where you saw the heavens open? I haven't, but I would long, I long for that. <laughs> and one day I'm going to. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. And the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and then he goes to war. His eyes were bright like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him. And only he knew what it meant. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, his blood, I believe. And his title was the Word of God. The Word of God. So yes, you're right then in thinking and believing that both the Bible and Jesus Christ are the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. And the Bible is the written word of God that is equally alive. When you read your Bible, it comes alive and it is God speaking to you. It's been said of the Bible that every single part of the whole scripture is God breathed. It came from the, the voice and the mouth of God and it speaks truth. And he goes on to say that a God of truth does not breathe error. God's word is infallible. It is irrefutable. It is inerrant. Dr. Herschel Hobbes wrote in the Baptist Faith and Message these words. He says, the Bible remains in its place of authority for Christians. It is a vital and living authority and not a mechanical or ecclesiastical one. It is our authoritative source of information as to the historical revelations of God in Christ it is regulative of Christian experience. In other words, if you have an experience out there and you want to know whether it's from God or not, look to Scripture. It is regulative. It is the source of Christian doctrine. It is the instrument of the Holy Spirit in his regenerative and sanctifying influences. It holds us to the great saving deeds of God in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer and Lord, and it is final Final for us in all the matter of Christian faith and practice. There's no other book like the Bible. Moses wrote some words that God gave him to share with the children of Israel, God's chosen people. And, and because we Christians are God's chosen people, they're timely words for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he wrote down these words, be careful to obey all the commands that I'm giving you today. For then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you. By letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He says that he did it to teach you that people need more than bread for life. You need more than three square meals a day. And yet sometimes that's all we think about. What's for supper? What's for lunch? What's for breakfast? He says he did it to teach people 
that they need more than bread for their life. Real life comes by feeding on every word of the Lord. Folks, Jesus agreed with Moses, you know, several thousand years later on that occasion where he had spent 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, then being tempted by Satan. Satan says, if you're really the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And what Jesus say? He said, no, the scripture says, people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. We got to have a diet of the word of God. The Bible is the word of God and it has and is divine authority. According to Jesus, life itself is linked to biblical authority. And if you refuse to live by the word of God, then you're rebelling against God in the very life that he gave you. When you study God's word, it's very clear to see that life and death and God's kingdom are linked to the issue of biblical authority. So you need to have a good understanding of God's commandments so that you can follow them and live. We all need a better understanding of God's word. Amen? We do. Well, you know, you don't get it by osmosis. I saw a comic strip with Garfield years ago and he had a book on his head and books on the side and books in front and back and on the bottom of his feet and he said, I'm learning by osmosis. Forget it. It don't work that way. You got to read it. You got to read it. We need to know more of God's word. We need to at least know how to use it like a library. Sadly, some Christians have been in God's house for 30 and 40 years, and if you ask them to turn to a book in the Bible, they wouldn't know whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. God's Word's important to you. When I was in Bible college, we had someone come one day to speak in chapel, and I mentioned him before, Angel Martinez. Anybody ever heard of him? Angel Martinez? Nobody here? I know Mark does. He was the South American Billy Graham. He came to speak in chapel, and I, I can tell you the, the four years that I was there, nobody ever came and spoke in chapel that preached and then had the entire altar full of weeping, repentive Christians like he did. They not only were across the front and, 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 and in front of that that chapel, well, they were down the aisle on their faces before God. What's interesting is that when Angel finished, everybody was down there and he never preached a word. Not one word did he preach. But for 45 minutes, he quoted the book of Matthew from memory. Because it was his goal in life to have the entire Bible memorized. When he came that day, he already had the entire Old Testament and he was almost finished with the New Testament. He died at age 73 having completely memorized scripture. Why? Because he knew the value of the word of God. There is power in the word of God. Power in the word of God. It has authority. If you've been one of these people, know that I've forgiven you, but several times throughout my ministry, I've had somebody say to me, Pastor, you put too much scripture in your sermons. How do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. You know, the, the Bible 
only has so many core teachings when you think about it. I know the Baptist faith and message focuses on 18 essential beliefs that we as Baptists hold as near and dear to our heart. The Bible's a big book. It has some core teachings. But honestly, there's only a handful of those teachings and foundational truths. And for an example, let me focus our attention on Exodus chapter 20 for just a minute. We're not going to turn there. But you, you know what that passage contains. Exodus chapter 20 has the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Moses called them the Ten Words because they were word from God. They're a set of divine rules that, that deal with a comprehensive summary of life. And you know what? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand God's rules. Amen? It doesn't. If you commit yourself to reading them and understanding them, then you're going to come away with the core teachings that God expects you and wants you to know. But God's even helped us a little bit further than that. He gave us Ten Commandments, but he simplified those ten. And Jesus summarized them. Uh, he took the Ten Commandments and summarized them down into just two thoughts in Matthew 22. If you look in Matthew 22, verse 36, there was a, a scribe or a, a lawyer came to him and he said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Love God more than anything else. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Wow. At the end of the day, God's word is really pretty simple, isn't it? His word is completely authoritative when it comes to how we're supposed to live our lives. It tells us how that we're to govern ourselves and our families and our churches and even our nation. God's word is important to us. And if we want to be what God wants us to be, we have to know God's word. You know, I, nobody in my family went to college before me. And if you'd asked me back when I was in high school if I was ever going to make it into college, I would have said probably not. Not unless I am playing baseball somewhere. And in fact, that's the only way I got into college was by playing baseball. But if you'd have said, do you think you'll ever go to Bible college? I went, you're crazy. Not me. Why would I want to go there? But it was an important part of my life. There are a few of you in this room here today that have gone to Bible college and seminary. And I thank God for you. But I, I, I just want to say this. You, you don't have to have a degree from a Bible college to be able to understand the Word of God. You don't. You don't even have to graduate from high school. It's simple. And you see, the two most important things that God wants you to know and do on earth are these two things. Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Y'all looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. 
I can't help it. The South comes out. These two authoritative principles should govern every one of our lives. Now, I'm going to talk this morning about divine authority. And I want you to understand that God's word has divine authority to govern your everyday personal life. Let's talk about you right now. John Maxwell says the first person that you lead is you. And you can't lead effectively without self-discipline. It's pretty hard to lead somebody that won't follow. (laughs) Think about the Israelites for a minute and think about what life would have been like for them if they'd only remembered that particular spiritual lesson. For you see, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Why did it take them so long to get there? Was it because it was a long way away? No. They could have walked there in two weeks. So what was the problem? It was all a a problem of preparation of the heart. They weren't ready. They weren't self-controlled. They weren't focused on God. They were living for themselves. And as a result, folks, listen. Of maybe a million men that could have made it into the promised land. Do you know how many made it in that left Egypt? Two. Only two had their heart right with God. Only two were self-disciplined. How about you? How is your self-control? What do you struggle with? We all struggle with something, don't we? Why? Because we're flesh and blood. We're human. That's why we need God. That's why we need his word. Plato said the first and the best victory is to conquer self. (laughs) He wasn't even a Christian. But he understood that. Let me give you five things that I think you need to do to help you conquer self. First, learn and accept the priorities of God's kingdom agenda. Learn and accept those priorities. Then second of all, make a disciplined lifestyle your personal goal. We've, we've got to have discipline in our lives. And it, it doesn't need just to be a bunch of rules. We need a lifestyle of being right before God. And third, always challenge your excuses. Why? Because I promise you, your sin nature is always going to make up an excuse for you not to be obedient to God. Number four, Only reward yourself when the job has been completed. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. And number five, stay focused on good and godly results. Know why you're there. Know where you're trying to go. Look at what Solomon says. He says, a wise teacher's words spur students to action and emphasize important truths. The collected saying, sayings of the wise are like guidance from a shepherd. But notice verse 12. But my child be warned. There is no end of opinions ready to be expressed. (laughs) Everybody's got an opinion, right? You don't believe me? Just get out there and look on Facebook. Look at what he says here. 
Studying them can go on forever and become very exhausting. But then in verse 13, he brings it all to a point. And he said, here's my final conclusion. In other words, this is what's really important. Pay attention, get it. He says, first of all, fear God. Are we supposed to be afraid of God? No, but we're supposed to honor and reverence God and give God his rightful place in our life. That's what he's talking about here. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is the duty of every person. For God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Folks, since God's word is the authority in our personal lives and, and since he has specific instructions for us to keep, where do we get the motivation to keep his word? What motivates us to study his word and then put into practice the principles that we learn from God's living word. Where do we get the motivation? Well, if you're lost, if you're unsaved, if you're unforgiven, then you probably will be motivated if it happens by the fear of judgment. You know, it is a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is. But if you happen to be a person who's put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ then you should be motivated by the fact that there's been grace and mercy applied to your soul. We should be grateful for what God has done for us. Every ounce of motivation that Israel needed to be obedient to God was provided for them before they ever left Egypt, before they ever received the commandments of God. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God said, I set you free. You ought to be happy about that. It ought to cause you to want to follow me and be obedient to me. Folks, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have been set free from the consequences of your sin. And you ought to be excited about living for God. Amen? We ought to be. Therefore, duty ought to rise out of devotion. You shouldn't be begged by God to keep his commandments. One of the greatest motivations that I think that we'll ever receive is the fact that every promise that is written in the word of God, God will keep it. Every one of those promises he will keep. He is a faithful God to keep his word. He never lies. He's always perfect. So it's just this simple. If you want God's authority and a power, his power to override your circumstance then align yourself personally according to the word of God. One of the, one of the first verses that I learned as a, as a new Christian was Psalms 119.11. Psalms 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I will not sin against you. God's word is important for you personally. We also see from scripture that God's word has divine authority to govern how your family functions. Look with me at Proverbs 22, 6. Solomon said, train up a child in a way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folks, the fact is this. Children have to be trained. Amen? And someone will train them. Rest assured of that. If you're a parent and you have family 
then according to God's word, you're responsible, first of all, to learn the truths of God's word and then pass those truths on to your children. Think about it for just a minute. If you don't pass on God's word to your children, then there is going to be somebody out there who will be more than glad to teach them another word and who knows where that word's going to come from. We have to realize that Satan has his own word. He has his own kingdom. He has his own teachers. He'll be glad and, and his minions will be glad to teach your children as well. He has teachers everywhere. They're on the street. They're on the internet. They're in our schools and some have found their way into our churches. And there's no telling what our children are going to learn from them, let alone their peers and their friends. Moms and dads, we need you to diligently teach your children the word of God. Hit and miss doesn't get it. We got to teach them the way God says to teach them. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses wrote, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you're getting up. That's pretty much all the time. Don't miss an opportunity to teach your children the word of God. He says in verse 20, write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. Why? As you're going and coming, you're seeing the truth of God. And it should impact your life. Folks, listen, it is not the government's job. It is not the church's job. It is not even my job to do what you've been called as a parent to do. It's not. So don't blame the church and don't blame the government when your kids mess up. Rightly train your children. Do that at home. Be the parent that God's called you to be. Dr. Tony Evans says, if you do the job, he said, I have good news for you. Give your kids God's word early in life. And even if they do take a left turn, the Holy Spirit has something to hook on to and bring them back. It's true. You want an example of that? Read Franklin Graham's story. Read Ruth Graham's story. Both were prodigals in their own right and they deviated from God. They left him for a time. But then they came home. You want to know why they came home? They had two godly parents, Billy and Ruth, that taught those kids the truths about God's word. They heard it every day. They were prayed over and they were taught. Whoa. They were prayed over. They were taught God's truth. And at some point, God got a hold of them and brought them home. There's also authority in God's word to govern how your church should operate. Biblical authority extends from the individual believer to the family all the way to the church. The local church is a spiritual microcosm of the overall kingdom of God. And when you study God's word, you see that he clearly had a purpose in mind when he established the church. And it was his plan and is his plan to expand his kingdom through the influence of the church. It is the mandate of the church to model the principles of his kingdom in such a way that the unsaved world will notice and be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. God plans to show the lost world himself through our witness. And he plans to show them that the best way to live 
is the way that the scripture teaches us to live. But again, Dr. Evans says this, and it's, it's powerful. He said, when the church is not the church, then society has nowhere to look for an answer since the church is uniquely the preserver and the depositor of divine truth. We've been called to be the church. If the world's going to see God, they're going to see it in us. We are the visible manifestation of God right now in the world. And the world is looking at us and making up its mind about God based on how we live our lives. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3 again, he said, I am writing these things to you now so that you will know how people must conduct themselves in the house of God. He said, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and supporter of all truth. And we need to act like it. Amen. We do. As Christians, we're called to be the sons of God, which implies the privilege that we've received. We've been called to be the servants of God, which implies our responsibility. We are called as God's children to embrace and balance both of these roles as sons and as servants. There are times when we teach and emphasize character over conduct, not wanting to put the spotlight on good works. Should we... No, we don't get to heaven by good works, but the fact is character is shaped and reflected by our conduct. Think about it. Virginia is still a part of the South, so I think you've heard this statement. Mind your manners. How many of you grew up hearing that? Mind your manners. Don't hear it much anymore, do you? We sure heard it a lot when I was a kid. And I can assure you that when my parents said, mind your manners, they weren't talking about character. They were talking about conduct. Because you see, they didn't want me to embarrass them <laughs> in front of a bunch of people. And I knew better. I knew what would happen when I got home if I embarrassed my parents. Paul probably had a similar intention with his instructions for Timothy. Who we are as Christians is important, is it not? We are children of God, not because of our good works, but because of his grace and mercy. But you know what? God still expects us to mind our manners. He does. There's no question that the primary context of what Paul says here focuses on the conduct of the church. Roger Spradlin wrote some interesting words. He's a pastor. He said, it's easy to start thinking that piety is only measured vertically in our devotion and our worship to God, as if that's all that matters. He said, but there's a horizontal aspect of our faith that is lived out in our relationship to others. You can highlight this last sentence because it's powerful. He said, the way we conduct ourselves with others in the nitty-gritty of life is perhaps the most accurate measure of how deeply the grace of God has penetrated and shaped our character. Chew on that a while. How much do we look like Jesus? Jesus said you're going to be the salt of the earth. He says you're the light of the world. In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it useful again? 
It will be thrown out and trampled under foot as worthless. He says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our job as the church is to illuminate the truth of God's word and not just pontificate upon it. We're to live it, not just talk about it. We're supposed to be a living illustration of God's truth. And people who are watching us are to be able to learn about God. Again, look at what Paul says about the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful for what? To teach us. To teach us what is true. He said in verse 17, it is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. Folks, if the Bible is not good enough for God's people to live by, then how in the world is it going to be good enough for the world? If, God's, if the word of God can't straighten us out, how's it going to straighten out our community, our state, Washington, D.C.? Do you get the picture? It has to work on us before we expect it to work out there. Here's the last thing I've got to say this morning. God's word even has authority to govern our nation, how our nation is ruled. I was reading and I've been reading, uh, I'm doing five devotions every day. Why? Because I've targeted five areas where I want to grow in my life. And one of the ways is in wisdom. And I'm doing a devotion by Charles Stanley on wisdom literature. It's in Proverbs. And I was in the 14th chapter on Wednesday, verse 34. And, and I read this. This was the theme verse. Verse 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. What does he mean by righteousness? He's talking about right living. He's talking about living in a right way with God, but also your fellow man. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. John Maxwell says God's blessings follow leaders who adopt his vision for the nations of the world. When I read that the other day, I started trying to figure out what he was talking about. And it dawned on me, and, and you may agree with me or not agree with me, and that's normal. So, <laughs> But, but here, here's, here's this thought. There's nobody that has any greater influence in our nation right now than our president. You can like him or dislike him, but the president is the leader of this country. Amen? Oh, me. It is. He is. Now, here's why that's important. It's important because the Bible says that God sets up and he deposes kings and rulers. No man is in office or no person is in office unless God allows it or puts them there. I believe that's scriptural. Now, our nation 
for our nation to live in peace and harmony, God's rules are necessary. They're absolutely a must. Again, Dr. Tony Evans wrote, a nation is going to stand or fall based on whether God's rules have permeated the culture, whether they've saturated into everyday life. One thing I know for sure, no leader of any kind can ever lead people where they've not been themselves. No leader. That's why it's important that we pray for our leaders. Amen? And especially our president, whether we like him or don't like him. We need to pray for him. Why? Because God put him there. And we need to pray for him. We need to pray for all of our leaders that they will be sensitive to God's way of doing things because a culture can be a reasonable place to live if it is well informed and led by biblical principles. It thrilled my heart the other day when I watched Dr. Billy Graham's funeral to see President Trump and Vice President Pence in attendance that day for that funeral. From what I have read, that's a pretty rare thing. When you get those two leaders of our country together in the same place, just for security reasons, but that they would both show up and honor God and honor Dr. Graham's family is an awesome thing. I know this, they heard the gospel, didn't they? They heard the gospel. They heard the word of God. They were introduced to biblical authority that day, and, and that is so important. Great respect for uh, Dr. Graham was shown that day by our leaders. So at the end of the day, why is it important for you and I to learn to function under biblical authority? Why, why do we need to live our lives under the authority of the word of God? Why is that important? Let me, let me give you a principle here this morning. When you try to live outside, when you try to live your life outside on your own, it's always going to be crooked, is it not? Always going to be crooked. I don't care how many times you try or how straight you think you are, your life is going to be full of distractions and deviations and detours because the very best of us can't live life straight on our own. And can I just be honest? Too many of us who claim to be a part of God's kingdom are trying to live our life on our own without God's rules. And that's why we keep messing up. That's why we make bad decisions. So what's the solution? We, we need to let God's word be the ruler in our life. And draw our life according to his rules and to his standards. And, and, and what, is his, what is his book that we do that with? It's the Bible. And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. God's word is the only authority that can enable you or me to draw a straight line in our personal life. And in the lives of our family, in the lives of our nation, in the lives of our churches. There's only one king in this kingdom. And his name is Jesus. He is our ruler, and this is my prayer this morning. It came out of Psalm 67. I pray that you'll pray this with me, and you'll think about this through the week. Psalm 67 says, God, be merciful to us and bless us, and cause your face to shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, and that your salvation may be known among all the nations. Where do you go when you have a problem that needs to be resolved? 
Who do you turn to? Who do you call? Where do you go to get guidance? Where do you instinctively turn first for an answer? Do you go to a friend? Do you get on Facebook? Do you pick up a book off the shelf? Do you think about what you want? Or or do you go to God and his word, his principles, the scripture? I I, I tried to think back to this, and, and I don't know that there was ever really a time in my life that it happened, but it may have. Um, when you get 63, you forget a lot of things, don't you? Sometimes we go out and we do things, and, and then our parents find out about it, and they go, man, I wish you'd have just asked me before you went and did that. You ever been there? I think we all have. How many times do we try to solve a situation in our life only to hear the Father say later, well, I wish you'd have just talked to me about that first. I wish you'd have opened up my book. I wish you'd have prayed because I could have helped you before you made a bigger mess of it. We need a king in our life. We need Jesus. And I pray that you have him in your heart. And I pray that if you don't, that you will. Today's a good day to do that. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, you know every detail about our life. You know how we've been woven together in the womb of our mother. You know the fabric of life that has influenced us every day as we live in this world. You know right now us intimately. You can see into that dark part of our life that nobody else sees. You know what we struggle with. You know what our issues are today. You know what problems we are desperately searching to find answers for. And God, you know where we've already looked for those answers. God, you are reminding us here today that the first place we should always turn is to you. Because you are sovereign God. We should turn to your word and bathe our our troubles, Lord, with scripture and prayer. Because God... That is where you speak to us. And that is where we find the answers for life. Father, you also know who's on the throne of our heart. You know if we're driving our life and we have our own hands on our steering wheel. You know who's ruling our life. God, please help us to see and be honest this morning about that truth. And Lord, if we're selfishly hanging on to life and refusing to give it to you, Lord, please break our hearts and shape our souls. Lord, your word is so clear. You love us. And you've expressed that love at the cross. And there's never going to be anybody to love us like Jesus did. 
Lord, help us to love you by receiving your son. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you and doesn't have any assurance of salvation, God, help them to come trusting your son today to make things right between them and you. If there are Christians here this morning, Lord, that are struggling with life because, Lord, they've slipped back into the ways of the world and they're, they're not letting you rule their life, God, help them to repent and turn back. Lord, please help us all to look more like Jesus when we leave here today. Because we live in a world that desperately needs to see Jesus. Time is running out. People are dying. And they're desperate. And we've been given a beautiful blessing. We know you. Help us to live for you so that you can be shared with them. Lord, draw us all to where you want us to be and change us to be like you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand and let's respond to God as God puts in your heart to respond. Trust him. Let God change your life and shape you. You come.